Hello and welcome to the Disney Animated Cannonball, a podcast where I, Tellingly, he, him, and I, Foxley, she, her, watch all of the Disney Animated Canon in order, which is how we wound up here, finally reaching the final traditionally animated Disney feature film for now. Oh, don't call it that. It hurts my heart. 2011's Winnie the Pooh. Just Winnie the Pooh. I'm so upset that not one, but two Pooh movies are considered part of the Disney animated canon. With nigh on 50 years between them. Also true. And like, what if we had only one actual sequel so far, right? This this is the second movie that was deemed worthy of receiving... An actual let's include it in the canon and give it a cinematic release. Yeah. And it was Poe. Before we can properly denigrate this movie, we must first provide the plot in 60 seconds. <laughs> Brilliant! I feel like I did the last one. It is indeed my turn, and what makes this more complicated is that I, confident there would be no plot, took no notes. <laughs> So we're actually going to get an off-the-cuff plot summary from you, as opposed to a pre-prepared uh, uh, essay. Yeah. So, count me in. Sure. Three, two, one, go. Winnie the Pooh is hungry and wants some food, and in the process of trying to find this, he learns that his friend Eeyore has lost his tail. The stupid children of the Hundred Acre Wood put together some kind of competition plan to get Eeyore his tail back, and then the plot just takes a break, and Christopher Robin leaves a note saying he won't be around for a while. They misinterpret the note to imagine that there is a dreadful beast called the Baxen in the uh, wood, and then begin conspiratorially attempting to trap or thwart it or whatnot, eventually finding out that there's no such thing when Christopher Robin returns and points out that they are, again, all stupid babies. When Pooh eventually gets back onto that first plot thread, and talks to Owl, asking for honey, he finds that Owl has Eeyore's tail and doesn't know it because Owl's an inconsiderate ass. Winnie the Pooh demonstrates the one genuine moment of heartfelt humanity in this film where he is given the choice between having food and returning Eeyore's tail, and he returns Eeyore's tail, and it's actually pretty sweet. (laughs) I think you might have gone over a minute in that time, but I'll give you a pass because you probably described literally everything that has significance to the plot in this movie. It's a it's a risk one this. It's it's <laughs> much, much better than the previous. I suppose you skipped out on our musical training montage. <laughs> it's true, and we'll know, be fine without that one. A lot of stuff gets covered under the Hundred Acre Woods characters are stupid children. They are, yeah. And this entire movie is obviously aimed at, at the smallest of little babies. Yeah. Now double take. And prior relationship. Do you have a prior relationship to this movie, Fox? This is the last remaining movie in the canon that I had not seen at its appointed time. Uh, when we started doing this. Mm-hmm. Wait, no. No, I think we started this after Ralph Breaks the Internet, didn't we? Oh, yes. Okay. okay. There's one more, then. There's one more. Okay. So you're almost... Th- this is one of those very few things in this string of movies that you haven't watched. Okay. Yes, correct. So my double take is nothing. What you um, got? No pre-existing relationship. I didn't know this movie existed. There's the next step, which is the Ike store slash product of its time, 
Again, I took no notes for this movie, and honestly, the main thing I compare this to is the previous Pooh film, where everyone was much worse, and it wasn't funny at all. So... (laughs) Yeah, focusing specifically on Yikes or product of its time, uh, there's nothing really worth commenting on here, even the typical uh, uh, Pooh fat phobia is is not here like who is still hungry and this is a central motivating factor and it just sort of gets to the point of like you may be ill if food is this important to you ill or starving one or the other and the challenge that comes up there is that the character doesn't need to eat he is a stuffed toy so it's an entirely mental construct but yeah yeah but it's not really like Pooh is not fat and funny or greedy and funny it's it's just a character trait. It's not. It doesn't seem to be the object of the comedy. He's still kind of an asshole, but that one moment at the end really redeemed him. I mean, everyone's kind of an asshole. Uh, it is a boo movie. I mean, these characters are all pretty much defined by being thoughtless as soon as the plot calls for it. So, you know, you get what you get. Yeah, I definitely agree on that front. I guess the only thing I would point to that's particularly yikesy is that there is one character with a defined gender, and it's Kanga. Everyone else is just assumed default, which is to say they're all boys. Mm, even if Piglet is about as close to being an agender icon as you can be. Uh-huh. And, you know, I think that whoever winds up wrestling the reins of this franchise from Disney in the coming years <laughs> should absolutely make it canon, because none of these characters need genders. They're Pig- stuffed toys. <laughs> it's true. It's true. I mean, it's... It probably would not suit the extreme oldie fashioniness of Pooh to have any kind of awareness of that sort of thing. Because this comes from an era where it was kind of unthinkable to not gender your toys. If they had personalities, of course they had genders. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that said, uh, it's not that much older than the muddle-headed wombat. Which gives us Mouse, the, the non-binary icon of the ages. Yeah, well... <laughs> That was the thing that came up in the first time we watched a Winnie the Pooh movie, which is... Well, that's right! It would have been so much better as a muddle-headed wombat movie. It's it's very hard to like Winnie the Pooh having memories of the muddle-headed wombat. Yeah. Because they are both roughly contemporary stories about a slightly stupid child analogue. It's just <laughs> muddle-headed wombat is much more interesting to me and isn't being brought into my culture by another culture insisting relate to this 30s american especially considering that Pooh itself is english right yeah or at least they go out of their way to make it incredibly english in these movies mm-hmm. yeah it's it's fine you know what though this overall is a lot more like a wombat story in that the characters are thoughtless and they do hurt each other but they do go out of their way to make amends as well yeah so you know, it's alright. It's just some kids being a bit shit and then nice. <clears throat> From there, we move on to the animation and making. This is a real... <laughs> this is a bag of complicated feelings. <laughs> it is kind of wild to think that this is literally the last point. for This is the, the punctuation mark for Disney's traditional animation. So technically speaking, this is the result of uh, of Disney with everything they've learned about animation up to this point. And I love that because it indicates one of the things they learned is ripping off Warner Brothers' shtick is actually pretty good. 
yeah, you know what? I'll give it that. There's there's a bit in this where they basically do word gags, like uh, you know, who's on first? Yeah, scene for a good several minutes, and it's very. It feels very Warner Brothersy. They play with the text in the storybook. That's very charming. There's a bit where Christopher Robin runs from one side of the book to the other and jumps across the spine, and that's quite cute. There's there's a lot about the animation and making this that is very high quality and very good, even if what you're getting is not amazing. Like, they're not doing a lot that's ambitious. You get a couple of dream sequences that are a bit much, but broadly speaking, <laughs> what you see in this movie is small, bucolic, low-impact, low-action characters just hanging around. Very, very nice, though. Mm. And did you notice the line quality? Yes. Like, they went out of their way to make this look like the Xerox era. Yeah. Just without so much leftover sketching, but the like the line quality itself has that same like textured penciling effect to it. How you imagine the Xerox era looking. <laughs> I mean, I... Uh, the Xerox era is thoroughly embedded in my mind, so yeah. I think I have a, a fairly non-rose-tinted idea of how it generally looked. But, yeah, it's it's nice that they made it look like a refined version of that era, rather than just making it look like a modern Disney movie. Um, aside from some shots that uh, pan out or require the characters to move through scenery uh, that really give it away, you could almost believe that this didn't have any, uh, you know, computer-generated trickery going on in it. Yeah, uh, and, and when I say trickery, I don't mean to... I don't mean that it's, like, invalid somehow to use computer techniques. I'm all for whatever looks good. The bee swarms were CG. <laughs> and the uh, the balloons, uh, ever-moving form, mm -hmm. uh, I believe, was a bit of CG. And we got, uh, like, a panning out shot through the forest, which I'm pretty sure used that fucking deep canvas technique Probably. or whatever it was called. Like that, that thing. <laughs> Again, we learned about this, that it existed in 2001, and to us in 2021, it still sounded like witchcraft. I, if you got it, you're going to use it, right? Especially if this was the last one of these they planned on making. Mm -hmm. Throw everything you got at it. You spend a lot of money to make that tool. Voice cast-wise... We have ourselves Jim Cumming as Winnie and Tigger. That is Jim Cummings. Gosh, he's good at impersonations. Because, uh, like, okay, no one else really sounds like their original selves here, but they understood how fundamental uh, Sterling Holloway's poo voice was. Uh, so that, like, it is spot on. I'm really impressed. It's a very, very good version of it. Like, as someone who does a lot of audio editing... Uh, <laughs> You could convince me that these are recordings with different audio setups. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good way to describe it. Like, these are close enough that you could make them sound the same. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the margin of error is less than what you could get from having a room with better or worse studio setup. Uh, Bud Lucky as Eeyore. It's, it's Bud Lucky, that's what he does. That's the role that Bud Lucky's been doing. Ah, he actually is the same guy? Uh-huh. Craig Ferguson as Al. He's a late night show host. Oh, I know that name. Yeah, Scottish bloke. He's a Scot. Yeah, that's where I know him from. Uh, Jack Bolter as Christopher Robin. Travis Oates as Piglet. Tom Kenny as Rabbit. Kristen Anderson Lopez as Kanga, who deserves special mention because her primary job is writing songs. Ah, like wait, and yet she wasn't the one to sing the uh, 
that song at the end there. No. Interesting. No, no, but she did go on to write Let It Go. Oh, wow. She's going to become quite important to Disney in the future years. Wyatt Dean Hall is Rue. Hewell Hauser was the Baxon, the grunting and growling of the Baxon. And Hewell Hauser's, sorry, Hewell Hauser is basically a California DJ who's like culturally important to uh-huh. that one specific area. Like when he died, they put his face on milk bottles and stuff. Like, that's what a bizarre sentence that was. Yeah. I felt like I knew that name, but maybe I'm just imagining it. He's done three movies and this is one of them. Oh, must be something else then. One of them is he's the narrator on the documentary Who Killed the Electric Car. But I definitely wouldn't know him from that, nor from being a DJ of any kind. Are we talking like, you know, public radio DJ? Are we talking like DJ does, does remixes of songs DJ? I'm not going to lie to you, I didn't look that deep. Fair enough! And John Cleese is the narrator. I spent the whole movie going, who is that narrator? He's very familiar. Yes, this is back in 2011 when we were fond of John Cleese, as opposed to now when John Cleese wishes... To flee all the countries that have cancel culture. Ah, right, yeah. He opened <laughs> his dumb mouth and said the thing that beloved British comedians always say, didn't he? Uh, that's that's so rough for you, buddy. I imagine it must be really difficult for you to do your offensive humour on your giant pile of money and never-ending royalties from that work you've done that's nationally and internationally beloved. Anyway. What a disappointment. You know what? It pays off being a Terry Pratchett fan. He'll never let you down. <laughs> it- yeah, even the things I've learned about Terry Pratchett and the ways he wasn't perfect have made me more fond of him. Anyway, that's all I got. That's literally all the notes I have all the way up to the capitalism. <laughs> Hooray! Let it's... me see. Uh... Does that mean that we are stepping into a grand thesis or did we suddenly arrive in turbo whatever land? We might have. I mean, I have nothing more significant to say about this movie. Um... You know what? The the main content of this, I feel like, should be comparing it to the previous two. Yeah. Because we so rarely get direct sequels in the Disney animated canon. We're going to get two more this season. Which <laughs> means that oh, I think we have three times as many as we've ever seen in the past. Yeah. Um, and this is a fuck ton better than the first Pooh movie. Yeah. Uh, I think part of that is because they... Like, this is obviously multiple short story concepts from the original Pooh stuff, but instead of just telling them one by one and and just kind of acting like this wasn't three episodes of a TV show, they interwove them to a small degree, like just enough to make them work as one actual feature-length story. And that really helps, because the, the whole problem with the Pooh material is that it's for <laughs> wee tiny babies and there's nothing going on. Uh... And, and just having it all happen at once makes it feel more like something is actually happening. This is only about an hour-long movie, did you say? 69 minutes. 60... <laughs> nice. Uh, and the previous Pooh movie was not long either. I think it was actually less than an hour. It was like 54 minutes. Yeah. But it felt like it went on for fucking ever. Yeah. I remember the episode we did on that, where we sat there going, How was that so short? <laughs> I feel like I've lost hours of my life. And this did not feel like that. This felt short. Yeah, this felt brisk. It had good pacing. It didn't feel like it dirtled around much. Some of the jokes were actually funny. Characters are still jerks? Yeah. 
Like, it's very hard to shake the fact that Piglet is just treated terribly by everybody. Piglet has that same... The humor around Piglet has that same feeling as when Disney, like, torments an animal. Yeah. Incidentally, and you're supposed to find that funny. Except it's not an animal, it's just the smallest character in the cast. He's so small that there are multiple shots in this where he's swapping out the pouch with Rue, which is very cute, but also drives home the fact that you should not be tormenting this poor little guy. Your smallest friend with an anxiety disorder. I know! (laughs) You should take care of Piglet. I don't even like the Pooh characters, but I I feel an urge to protect Piglet. See also Eeyore, who always wavers in every representation between this is just a guy with depression Mm. and this is someone who is very invested in being the friend with depression and therefore will ruin everything he can. Whereas in this one, no, Eeyore is really badly put upon by other people being complete dicks to him. Yeah, this this is not an Eeyore. Like, previous Eeyores, you often get that he will show up and, like, make an active effort to sort of bring down the mood. Like, if he's unhappy, everyone else has to be unhappy. Uh, but this Eeyore is not too bad with that. Yeah. Like, he still likes to point out that nobody cares what's going on with him, but... Even when they actively and clearly do. Oh, <laughs> that's true, actually. Like, this... The entire movie, people actively care what's going on with Eeyore. He should be, well, not happy, but he should be heartened to know that, at least. He shouldn't devalue what people are trying to do. Yeah. if it's not working. And they all do make really sincere efforts to help, which is also nice, even if they are dumb babies who think you could probably have a cuckoo clock for a tail and it would be fine. Eeyore, you need to learn to say thank you for the things people do and not sorry as if doing things for you is an imposition. Oh, that's really good advice. You know, beloved children's icon that never will hear me. Hear me. <laughs> you know what? It's still good advice. Eeyore's also just very cute. I like seeing Eeyore and stuff. He's a cute design. Yeah. So, so is also Piglet. Like, it's I, hard to dislike Piglet. I think it's the voice, to be honest. Yeah, I don't want a Piglet toy, but you look at Piglet's design, and as a character design, you're like, oh, that's... Pretty much just perfect, isn't it? He's a little bean. Yeah, and and like anything you do to alter that design has to be a temporary imposition, but then it becomes funnier. Like if you give Piglet <laughs> a top hat, you immediately are visualizing the top hat falling around his eyes, right? Actually, I was envisioning him as Rachunko Penny Bags and just <laughs> kind of a trust fund asshole. So I guess that's more about my feelings about the kind of people who would put on a top hat. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> but you're thinking like a full-size top hat. So yeah. It just goes boom. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good bit. That's a good visual. Uh, yeah, let's see. Uh, Broadly has the same charm as the last one in terms of like, this is the story you make up when your mother has a stern look on her face and is like, why did I find a doll eye floating <laughs> in the honey jar this morning? <laughs> right? Like all the poo stories have that underlying beneath them and i find it very entertaining Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and actually they i feel like they were well aware of this too because the end sequence is a bunch of shots of the the soft toy versions of the animals in the uh perhaps real world representation of what a child might have been doing to act out the story which is sweet (laughs) it is sweet it's also a huge mess though not as bad as i imagined because i can never get past the fact that the poo toy would be like 
just the grubbiest thing in existence. Oh, yeah. You can't wash honey out of soft toys, man. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you know what? Since we're doing comparisons, uh, these toys look so much less horrifying <laughs> than the authentically mangy ones from the... Oh, you remember the yeah. fucking terrifying glass-eyed poo that was sitting on the shelf in that yeah. opening shot? Oh. That was nightmare fuel, man. I do not I get disagree. It. Old toys have like an inherently creepy quality to them, but I can't imagine having been a child in that time either who would look at that and go, that's a nice looking toy, I'd like that, rather than, huh, songs. Uh, the songs in this are another heaping helping of whatever. Uh, none of them is particularly catchy or interesting, but I did like the animation sequence for the Baxen with the, the chalkboard drawings. Like, it's obviously got shades of the the abstracty, um, what were they talking about? Was it Heffalumps? Yeah. Yeah, okay. It's got shades of the Heffalumps song, which they did in the Prior Pooh movie, which was a blatant ripoff of the Pink Elephant song that they did in Dumbo. Yeah, at, at a certain point, we're going to have to give up on the fact that everything is referencing Dumbo, and maybe just <laughs> that it's a style thing that they can do. Well, that's what I'm, I'm <laughs> I, that's what I was going to say. This feels distinct enough. From either of those that, unlike the Heffalump song, it doesn't feel like a ripoff. It just feels like something in the spirit of that, where it's a fantasy, so we're going to have some fun with it. Yeah. Uh, and I quite liked it, though it might just be that the animation is very lovely, even when they're doing a weird bit like a chalkboard thing. <laughs> like, this is, it's not beautiful. It doesn't excite me for traditional animation the way that Disney often does, but. It is, it's just looking at a really nice example of the craft. Yeah, you you are impressed with it as a technical thing. Yeah, I really am. The the Baxton song also has a couple of very imaginative and creative ways to represent the thing in the background, like when the Christmas tree becomes a Baxton or when they open books and each book has part of the Baxton in it. Yeah, you know, yeah. Stuff like that. It, the stuff that you can only do in the hyper-reality of animation, which is just nice. It's very nice, uh, well, uh, directing and storyboarding and choreography, I guess. Yeah. It is all of these things. Pretty much. Yeah, so this is what you can get out of Disney if, you know, you don't cancel and uncancel the project three times. <laughs> this is what a Pooh movie could have been if you gave it, God, 40 more years to simmer? When was our first Pooh movie? 70s, right? 60s, I think, but honestly, I'm not going to look this up. This... I can't remember if it was late 60s or early 70s, but something like 40 extra years. There is a potential snobbery in hearing me say, look, these don't count. These don't matter. They're not interesting. I don't care. <laughs> but it's just flat out true for me. Much in the same way that Snow White had almost nothing in it for me to talk about. Same thing here. There's a point in the opening where Pooh's head is stuck in a jar and Christopher Robin pulls the jar off his head, and his head is momentarily shaped like the jar, and then he shakes his head, and it pops out into proper shape. That's delightful. That's great. I love that animation trick. I remember seeing it in Warner Brothers cartoons, which are almost a century <laughs> old. Yeah, they did pinch a, a few things from Warner Brothers. Uh... And that's not to say, well, Warner Brothers did it first, so why should we impress with Disney doing it? It's not at all. It's just, this stuff is just rudimentary language for it animation. Is. And it is, no lies, a little bit amusing to see Disney cribbing from Warner Brothers for their most deliberately wholesome property. 
That's like, true. Considering that Warner Brothers was the edgy, you know, we do what Diz don't. I do like to imagine that this was an opportunity for a lot of animators to have fun. But for all I know, the process of making this movie sucked ass. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, there was no press around this or anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was no story. It was just... I mean, Pooh stuff was definitely popular at this time. It had a weird renaissance about the same time as they started pushing the Princesses brand and the Tinkerbell brand. I've seen the posters for this in movie theaters. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm not saying it got no advertising, but it didn't get... Um, you know, there wasn't a narrative about the making of it. It didn't get coverage. Mm. Advertising, narrative about the making of it, it sounds like you're straying awful close. <laughs> no, no, wait, 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 wait. Back in the door. I've got one more thing. Okay. Ow. I just wanted to give them a shout out to the bit in the Baxton song where they do a series of internal rhymes. Which oh, yes. is very obviously lining up I can't remember the actual word now, which is very obviously lining up a final rhyme to go with them. And instead, Al is like, well, I'll tell you about it or something, and then crams four words in there that don't remotely fit or rhyme. And I found that really funny because it was so obvious what it was going to be. Yeah. And then they subverted my expectations. It is a small thing. It is the fundamentals of comedy. But I feel like it's a good description of why this is so much more watchable than our first Pooh movie. Fundamental is a really good way to describe it. Like yeah. this, is, this movie just does a lot of very rudimentary stuff that cartoons were doing in the 40s and 50s, and it's just saying, well, what if we do that, but excellently? Yeah, yeah. And also, would you like to buy a plush Eeyore? Yeah. A snowflake pattern on him. Hey, all right. Well, we tapped out. Yes. What do you think of the capitalism, Fox? Do you want some capitalism? I have I have prepared something for you. It's capitalism. <laughs> well, I believe this absolutely is an exercise in capitalism uh, because I think they figured that it was time to start selling soft toys to grown-ass women uh, <laughs> as a marketing gimmick. This, I don't know if you remember this, but this was really like suddenly... There was all this little kid character Disney stuff that was very much for adult women. What you're going to notice here is that this is a jump for us because this is 2011. In Australia, that's around the time that a bunch of licensing agreements for stores and companies that normally weren't allowed to sell in Australia because they used to be being distributed through companies that for various monopolistic practices weren't allowed here. (laughs) So you would see this kind of thing, but it would be in, forgive the phrase, Asian knockoff stores and not particularly high quality. Whereas this is around the time where a bunch of those people negotiated new contracts to deal with Australian salespeople. And suddenly you were getting whole stores of proper, uh, professionally made merchandise endorsed by Disney with higher price point, but also higher quality. And, you know, this is where we get the beautifully screen-printed glitter Eeyore shirts and the like that you're visualizing showing up in places like Target, which, you know, I America's like, and Target? Yeah, like, uh, it, it's, it's different here. It's a it's a weird and long story. Wait till you find out about Lowe's. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I, I think you're right. Like, I think this is where it escaped into, like, mainstream shops. Because this is the kind of shit that, that lived through, like, Disney shops. 
yeah. in in the US. Yeah. And Disney Shop, uh, I, I'm sure there might be more than one in the state where we live. There's a second one? There are two. In the entire country, isn't it? There are two in New South Wales. Okay. Yeah. And, and you know, it was going to be a day trip to go and even look at them. Uh, so, like, just official Disney merchandise was very much limited, except for the, you know, the toys that, that were very much just for kids. I mean, fuck it. We have no content here. What do you reckon those two locations are? Well, I know one of them is in Sydney because I've been there. Yeah, one's in Darling Harbour. I had the bad fortune to go when Hercules was the current movie, so the only merch they had that wasn't of the classic Disney characters was all Hercules. Mm-hmm. The other one's in Miranda. <laughs> ah, so they're also right near each other. Yeah, so Sydney and outer <laughs> Sydney. And like, two Disney shops in a state might seem reasonable to you if you live in a country where the states are all tiny, but I will remind you, our land masses are comparable to the US, and we have... Seven states and territories? Eight? <laughs> we don't have a lot. And, and, uh... There are good, orders of magnitude bigger. A good rule of thumb is you can fit five United Kingdoms in New South Wales. <laughs> Alright? Like, the Americans don't know how big the United Kingdom is. <laughs> I like that you specified UK, because that means, like, Scotland and yeah. uh, half of Ireland and all that as well. No, they wish half of Ireland. Well, uh, <laughs> a chunk of Ireland. Watch this space. <laughs> Anyway, so while we're doing non-politically charged things, do you think the budget for this was higher or lower than Tank? <laughs> down, 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 down. Okay, so because of this, I'm going to... Because this is such a, a, a sharp drop-off, and there's no... <laughs> like, it's not interesting on that front. Like, ooh, shock horror. This is cheaper than Tangled by I how much? Take it doesn't a matter. Guess. No, no, I think this might be... I... Dare to propose this might be down under the 100 million mark. 30. 30 million? Oh my god, this is so cheap! <laughs> oh. This movie costs less to make than Aladdin. That's amazing! <laughs> I mean, I lowballed it, but I didn't think I'd be that far above. What do you reckon the take was like, then? Pretty darn good. I think they made bank on this. I don't think it, I think it probably didn't make as much as Tangled, because Tangled was also huge. But it's it's got to be close, at least. I'm He's sorry. laughing at I'm me, sorry. it made more than Tangled. No, no, I'm no? sorry. This movie made 50. Only 50 million? Yeah. Okay, wow. This, this movie's total returns and the box office were 50 million for an upfront cost of 30 million. Wow. And that's good, that's 1.6 times your budget, which is absolutely fine i guess they're lucky they didn't make it on a normal uh 2010s disney budget though because they would have been really screwed yeah i like <clears throat> yeah kind of the budget return on this is 1.6 right they made back an extra 60 percent of what they spent which is not amazing by comparison tangled tangled made 0.6 billion dollars i know i know and it was a return of about two and a half what I'm saying is if they, what I'm saying is if they'd gone ahead and spent you know 150 million dollars on it again, they oh, yeah. would have gotten their asses burned. Absolutely, absolutely devastated. So finally, critical reception. Um, I feel like critics were probably kind to this because they would have understood it was for very very small babies, and the nostalgia points probably got it over. Critics who complained about complained. Critics who complained about Tangled. Uh, praised it and said that it was good and wholesome and a return to form. 
Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> return to form. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's it. That's what I got. All right. Well, I, you know, short, sweet. That's as good as this movie deserves. I think we did it justice. Like a shot of honey. <laughs> Don't do honey shots. <laughs> <laughs> there weren't, you know what? I'll complain about that. There weren't as many hilarious one-liners due to the word poo <laughs> as in the first movie. The best one, I think, was uh, was how are we going to get the poo out? Uh, but it, it just, there weren't as many points where I was like, no, come on, they have to know what they did. <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, but aside from that, uh, definitely watch this one instead of the original. Or, or don't watch either. Unless yeah. you are, you know, four. Yeah, I was going to say, maybe turn 12. This is for little little babies. Yeah, it's not it's not particularly exciting or engaging on its own merits, but as as a task we had to get through to complete this, it's fine. I didn't feel like I was being made to suffer. That's that's my two and a half star review. Alright. What's coming up next then? Well, this was 2011, and we've just had a big rising crest of surprising quality. Next movie is Wreck-It Ralph. Oh, that's right. We have one more dark turn before we get back to the Princess Riri Renaissance. (laughs) One more dark turn, she says. (laughs) 